So it's the very least we can do is to give back to you, first of all, what you've commanded in a tithe, and then anything over and above that in an offering, Father, we return that to you in full obedience this morning, knowing that you'll change hearts, change lives, and kingdom work will be accomplished not only here at General Shepherd Church, not only here in western Pennsylvania, not only here on the Pittsburgh district, but Lord, around the world through the Church of the Nazarene. I thank five years old this morning, so if you'd like to back there, uh, it's available for you, but uh, the kids will stay in. And if you are visiting with children this morning, um, on normal weeks, on non-holiday weeks, let's say, uh, because we think it's important that the kids stay in and they get to hear the message, they get to sit in church, and they get to hear the songs, and they get to see how it all goes some weeks. But most weeks, we have an unbelievable children's program that meets in the back in the children's wing. It's called G-Kids, and they meet back there, and you can send, or we have classes for all ages, and they have a great time. We'll be doing a VBS program this summer. You don't want to miss some of that on Sunday mornings. So bring your kids. Believe me when I tell you, we send them out, and there's a throng of children that come. Half the congregation leaves. They go out the back door and toward the left or toward the right, and they go back in the children's wing, and they have a great time back there. And Leah Shaner, uh, our children's director, makes sure that's all organized. All the teachers have proper clearances, and all that's taken care of. Uh, your children and your, really, your safety and security is of top priority here. Here. So if you're visiting with us, you can come back with your kids and they don't have to sit with you in service. They can go back and be a part of our children's program. All right? All right. All the housekeeping out of the way. You ready for the word? Yes. Three people are ready for the word. All right. A Sunday like no other. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about the comeback. I want to talk to you really about the greatest comeback ever. And if you were to Google the word comeback, a lot of things would come up in, in every area of life, and uh, a lot of them start with the world of sports. And if anybody, if there's a, and I, and I remember, I got the microphone, so if anybody this morning remembers this moment, does anybody remember this moment? Anybody at all? There's a few. There's a few, right? Any Pens fans in the house? Right. In 2009, April 25th, that's, that's Max Talbot with the shiner on his eye. In 2009, during Game 6 of the Eastern Conference quarterfinals, Matt Talbot dropped the gloves with Daniel Carrillo. What happened next was nothing short of amazing. Down three goals in Game 6, a series-deciding game. I mean, the Penguins were down and out for the count. It was a series-deciding game. Game 6. As the Flyers fans were cheering their player, Talbot literally hushed the crowd as he was ushered off the ice into the penalty box. Fighting's not right, kids. Less than 30 seconds after that, the Penguins were awakened down 3 to nothing in this game. They scored four unanswered goals. The Pens defeated the Flyers, and then they went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. One of the greatest comebacks, down 3 to nothing. Another great comeback in 1986 was Jack Nicholas down seven strokes in the Masters tournament at the start of the final day. He birdied the back nine. He tore it up. He went on to win the Masters in a classic that's been unequaled since. It was an amazing comeback. And I know, I know you'll remember this. Super Bowl 43. Down 23 to 20. The Arizona Cardinals, the Steelers, had two and a half minutes to cover 88 yards. 
Ben Roethlisberger faced one-third down in that drive. He converted that with a 13-yard completion to Santonio Holmes. A 40-yard pass to Holmes, most of which came after the catch. That put the ball on the Cardinals' six-yard line. But the Steelers chose to use their last timeout with 48 seconds left. In the worst-case scenario, a field goal would tie the game. Y'all can put yourself there. I know you're doing it. But Roethlisberger went for the win. And remember what happened. After an incomplete pass, Roethlisberger then pinpointed a ball over three red jerseys into Holmes' outstretched hands in the back right corner of the end zone. Holmes scored the Super Bowl MVP honors with that touchdown reception. Roethlisberger's greatest fourth quarter comeback gave the Steelers an unprecedented sixth Super Bowl title and their most dramatic Super Bowl finish ever. We love a comeback. Something exciting. Something exciting. You're thinking that all is lost and, and hope is gone. and thinking it's not going to happen. And then all of a sudden, there's a comeback where the person you didn't think was going to win ends up winning the game. But all of the comebacks that I can think of, the most exciting and greatest is the spiritual comeback. And that's the good news of Easter, that the Lord Jesus has a way of turning things around. He has this way of taking the irreversible and reversing it. He has this way of doing that in any one of our lives. What our own energy and our own ingenuity and our own creativity and ability could never do. He has this way of bringing about a divine comeback. When he's invited into the equation of your life. That's why in the next few moments I want to talk to you about the greatest comeback ever. The comeback of the resurrection on this Easter Sunday morning. So for the next two hours, would you open your Bibles up? We're going to dig into this message just a little bit. And all the visitors went, <gasps> somebody tap your neighbor and tell him he's not serious. Probably. Probably. But there's no doubt that there are many people in this room that you need a comeback. It could be in your family. It could be physically. It could involve the area of finances. Some of you are here this morning and you need a relational comeback. Some need an emotional comeback. Maybe it's a habit or addiction and you need, you need that to break. Jesus can break that this morning. Some of you need an emotional comeback. You, you've tried and you've tried. You don't have the power or the ability and you need that comeback this morning. Maybe there are some of you, you've been told you're just not going to make it. It doesn't look good. I mean, this life is not for you, man. I mean, you've just been beaten down and negativity has surrounded you. Let me tell you something this morning. Because of the empty tomb, there's a God who can bring about a comeback in your life. For others, you would say that there was a time when you were walking with the Lord, when you were close to Him, and you knew the Lord, and you were close, but things happened in your life, and life got in the way, and decisions were made, and events took place, and you found yourself maybe months, maybe years, living away from the Lord. In fact, maybe this morning, you're even surprised you're here this morning. You came because of a friend, or because someone invited you, and you wondered if when you walked in, if the building would still stand. How many have heard that? If I walked into church, the roof would fall in. And you're looking around, you're thinking, man, I, I can't believe I'm in church. This is church? Not what I remembered. 
might be a little different than what you're used to. I don't know if you heard the final countdown in your last church service, but you heard it this morning. But inside of you, you know there's this desire to to know God, but there's a fear on the other hand that maybe God doesn't really want to know you. And you need a comeback this morning. Easter is the good news of a comeback. There are others who would say, you know what, I'm not really a religious person. I don't consider myself religious now, but I am spiritual. But the fact of the matter is, you can be as spiritual as you want, Haas, until you've personally met Jesus Christ, the living God. You don't know what spiritual is all about. I'm here to tell you this morning that on Resurrection Sunday, His power can engineer a comeback in your life that you can't begin to imagine. And that's the good news this morning. And so this morning, in the next few moments, hour and a half tops, I want to just talk a little bit about a text that I think encapsulates the Easter truth so powerfully. If you would turn this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2 and and verse 6. It's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. If you have your apps with you, you can find it quickly. When you have it, say amen. All right, that's enough for me. 2 Corinthians 6, this is what he says. He says, we do, however, uh, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, (laughs) No, no we, we declare, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. In fact, Paul says that none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He says, however, as it is written, no eye has seen, No ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. So we look at those verses, and I want to give you just three words this morning to sort of center our thoughts this morning. Uh, The first word is the word cross. If you're a note taker, you might want to write these down. If you're not much of a note taker, go ahead and write these down. The word cross, four times in this passage we just read, we saw the word wisdom. Now, Paul's talking about wisdom. He's not talking about conventional wisdom. He's not talking about philosophical wisdom, with which the Corinthians actually would have been very into. They, were, they loved to hear and debate the latest philosophies. What the Apostle Paul is talking about is a secret wisdom, a hidden wisdom, he says. Well, why? Why is it hidden? Well, it's a divine wisdom, and that, that wisdom centers on and is all about the cross. And we'll dig into this just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, the verses preceding this, uh, Paul also writes to the Corinthians, Remember, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. That's what the Corinthians wanted to hear. They wanted debate. They wanted philosophy. They wanted to talk about this. And Paul says, listen, it's not what the cross is about. I don't come to you with eloquence or human wisdom. The cross is about a kind of power that radically and miraculously changes a life. Look at it in verse 2. Paul says, for I resolved to know nothing 
while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's not the eloquence of philosophy. It's not the complications of debate. It's not all these arguing terms and going back and forth in forensics. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The two things that Paul mentions about the cross, first he tells us, is that the cross revealed God's plan. Look at it in verse 7. Now, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. I highlighted it up there for you to make it real easy. It was predestined, this whole thing, this whole plan. It's important to understand that the cross wasn't just about bad men doing a bad thing at a certain point in history. The cross was always a part of God's plan before time began. The plan was formulated before you, you, were even born. Paul said the plan was formulated before his audience. You all were even born. The plan that was formulated before the earth was created. The plan that was in eternity before time began. The all-knowing God who exists outside of time. He can see the beginning and the end simultaneously. And he said that's why he said that he is the eternal, ever-present, and even ever-now God. He saw you before time began. He loved you before time began. He was thinking about how he could reach out and how he would reach out to you. You. Before time began. God knew, because God knew, the frailty of humankind. He knew that mankind, left to their own own devices, would never be able to serve him without sin. And that sin would mar and damage the ability of human beings to have a relationship with God. And God desired to know you, not only today but to know you for all eternity. That's God's desire for you. For you, sitting here this morning, watching online. That's God's desire for you. To know you, not only right here and now while you're walking around, but to know you for all eternity. And to work in you in a way that would not only glorify Him, but glorify His glory in you. Would reveal His glory in you. It's something that's amazing to consider. And and God said that I'll need to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Because even on your best day, and I know you all are thinking you all are good, and you're, you're all, not, not you folks. You came in here and polished your halo and walked into church on Easter Sunday and sat down. But maybe someone you know, on their best day, they would never, never, through their own righteous acts or deeds, be good enough To go to heaven so that God did for us what we could not do or your friends could not do for themselves. He sent His Son Jesus to die for us, to bear our sin, so that when we put our faith in Him, our sins would be forgiven. And God did it because He loved the world. He loved you and He loves me. In fact, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible, you might have heard it, John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was a plan from the very beginning. Paul calls it a hidden wisdom. Because bits and pieces of it were laid out in the Old Testament. 
But still, the people couldn't see it. They couldn't put it together in their mind. It was laid out throughout all of the Old Testament. Did you know that the entire Bible, Old, Old and New Testaments, all points to Jesus Christ? It all points to Him. Have you ever, have you ever purchased a piece of real estate or a home or something where you had to sign a bunch of stuff? I mean, sign, 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 right? I mean, here, sign here, sign here, sign here. And you're signing and initialing all over the place. What they've done now, and you might have seen this, some of them have put these big green arrows on stickers on the page. You know, you know what, a little bit, anybody? Am I up here by myself? Yeah. yeah? All right. So you see these green arrows, right? Sign here. Oh, there's one. And they peel it off. And they sign where all these green arrows. That's what the Bible is all about. That's what the Bible's like. All of these green arrows pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, all throughout the Scriptures. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is what I'm talking about. God's trying to get our attention. I wish he would have put those green arrows in there now. Think about it. Here, this is Jesus. In fact, the disciples, even the ones who walked around with Jesus, four different times at least, Jesus said very plainly to them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. The leaders are going to reject me. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then in three days, I'm going to raise myself up again. All kinds of time. It went right over their heads. I love the disciples because they were remedial like me. You know, they just sometimes didn't get it. We have the benefit of reading ahead. We get it. But maybe, uh, maybe that was us when we were right in that moment. And maybe it would have gone over our heads too, right? Before you get all judgy on the disciples. But it was the hidden plan, Paul said. But it was God's plan. The second thing we know about the cross is it reveals God's power. Again, back in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There are some here today, and when we talk about the cross, some are listening or watching online, we talk about this cross of Jesus, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about all of this, and you're like, you know, what's the big deal about something that happened 2,000 years ago? You're like, I don't get it. So I guess, yeah, a guy came and guy died, and people say he rose again, but who can really prove that? And, and I don't know why everybody's making such a big deal about this. The reason why you're saying that is because you've not yet personally experienced the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and the difference that He can make in your life. But the moment you open your heart to God, the moment you invite God in to your life, the moment you say, Jesus, yes, Lord, yes, come into my life and I want to live for you. Do your work in my life. Watch what happens, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is foolishness to people who don't understand or haven't received that message. But to those who are being saved, well, the cross is the power of God. And the amazing thing about the cross is, is the power that it brings into our life. I don't know how it works, I only know that it works. I can't explain it beyond scriptural terms. But there is a power that is the greatest power known to mankind. And and what's very interesting is, you would think that when the New Testament writers were going to talk about God's mighty display of power, you would think, maybe I would think at least, maybe I'm the only one, but you think they would talk about the creation of the universe. Now that's a display of power, right? If they're going to talk about God's power... And how awesome it is. 
Let's talk about the moment when God breathed and everything came into being. Like that's power. He spoke and planets and stars and galaxies was created. But now when the writers of scriptures want to point to the greatest act of God's power, it's what happened when when Jesus rose from the dead. Because in that moment, not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but death, hell, and the grave were defeated forever. That is power. It's the power that is unable, I'm sorry, it's the power that is able to undo the devastation of sin. That's power. Think of it this way. Imagine, God forbid, imagine there's a tornado. And the tornado rips through an area wreaking havoc and devastation. And then all of a sudden, all of that being put back into place. And better than it was before. It's the power of Jesus. It's what God did at the grave when He raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says, that same power that raised Him from the dead... Read your Bible, you'd be a better Christian. Ephesians chapter 1, that same power that that rose Jesus, raised Him from the dead, is at work in you, Jesus follower. It's a very powerful thing. It changes a person's life. It transforms you. It makes you different. And it makes things new. The Bible says, the new has come and the old has passed away. The new has come. And what symbolism, right? What better symbolic act that we can do than immersion baptism, right? Here's the commercial you were all waiting for. Uh, So our church, right? Remember we talked about having a baptism service and we might have it off-site and we might do it. uh, We might stand by a puddle outside and do drive-by baptisms. But all of that has changed because our church has purchased a full-on, full-sized baptistry that we're going to be baptizing people right here Next week during service. And if you need to sign up, you need to see me before. I mean, we have five or six or seven or eight right now. But if you would like to be baptized, we'll talk a little bit, little about what that's about. We covered it in the sermon. If you weren't here, we can talk about it. But there's the commercial. Next week during service, right here. God willing. Pray because that baptistry is on a tractor trailer somewhere. And by faith, we're believing it's going to be here by the baptism service. If not, it's a horse draw from Tractor Supply. But be here next week. And don't miss. With that baptistry, we also purchased a baptistry heater, praise God. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Where was I? Oh. This, this power of the cross, right? The power of God. It transforms people, makes you different. The second thing I want you to notice this morning uh, is the word conspiracy. Word number two is conspiracy. And this is interesting because maybe you haven't thought of this before. Um, I know you guys probably have. But in 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 2 and verse 8, it says this, that none of the rulers of this age understood it. Remember, none of the rulers of this age understood this power. None of the rulers of this age understood what was going on. And the word rulers here is interesting. You know, we go down this rabbit hole, right? Sometimes if you've studied the scriptures and you get into the Greek language, my goodness, you can really go and, and I mean, you look up and it's all of a sudden through two in the morning. But really, I encourage you to do it. You look into this word rulers, archon, best I can say it in the Greek, And and the word rulers here that Paul is talking about, 
the rulers of this age. He's not talking about Pontius Pilate who washed his hands, remember, and turned Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. He's not talking about the Jewish leaders who out of jealousy and envy had Jesus executed. It's not the Roman government. It's not the fickle mob who shouted Hosanna on Monday and crucify him on Friday. The word here, archon, archon, Paul uses several times in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 8, 38, he uses that word, and it's translated principalities. Principalities. Demonic beings in other realms is what the, what the Scripture says. He says, neither angels nor demons can separate us from the love of Christ in that passage. And in Ephesians chapter 3 and in chapter 6, verse 12, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's this word, archon, rulers. Your struggle is not with flesh and blood people around you, mother-in-laws. Your struggle, your struggle is with demonic beings who want to detour you from knowing Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. That's the eternal struggle. His life-changing power is available to you, but this archon, these rulers, these, these principalities are trying to detour you from knowing this power and knowing Jesus Christ. They want to blind your heart, blind your mind, lest you believe and experience this wonderful resurrection power that can bring about a comeback in your life. None of the demonic leaders of this age understood it. They didn't understand the cross. They couldn't go back and read through. It was hidden. It was woven in. They were arrayed against the plan of God and they wanted to corrupt the human race. They want to see mankind eternally separated from God because they know that God loves people. He loves you and He loves me and God wants to rescue and save people. That's the Gospel. That's the Bible. God's plan is to rescue you. And so they do everything they can. These rulers, these principalities, do everything they can to try to stop that. And they thought, since God was coming in the flesh, well, we got this now. God was coming in the flesh through Jesus Christ, His Son. They thought, now maybe we have a chance. He set, a, he set aside all of the prerogatives of being God, of being of deity. And He now, through Jesus Christ, His Son, they thought, we've got a chance. He's come as a man. Yes, he was God, but he was living as a man. And they thought, the principalities and rulers of that realm thought, here's what we'll do. We'll get people to turn against him. We'll get people to execute him. And when he's in the grave, God's plan is then finished. But none of the rulers, the demonic rulers of this age, understood it. Second part, part B. For if they had really understood what they were doing, they would not have crucified the God, the Lord of glory. Like they had no idea what they just did. In other words, you have no idea. You crucified Him. You thought it was over. You thought you were thwarting the plan of God. But man, you have no idea. It's sort of waking up the lion, right? Look, don't go there. Don't poke the bear. There was this demonic conspiracy that the first Easter, remember, Satan, remember, remember how when Satan entered the heart of Judas Iscariot? Remember the Bible says that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when the mob came, we talked about that on Good Friday. When the mob came, Jesus said, now is the hour when darkness reigns. 
And it's this conspiracy as the forces of hell that thought now they had him. They had God in the flesh. Ah, they got him. And they thought they could hold him. That was a four or five thousand pound stone that was rolled in front of that tomb. And they said, We've, we stopped it. We stopped God's plan. Little knowing that the evil that they were working in the end would only serve to bring about the greatness of God's plan. And as you think about it, you can almost picture their demonic glee as he's laid in the tomb. They thought the Son of God was dead. It's done. Yeah, Jesus, you were right. It is finished. (laughs) It's over. They thought it was a triumph for the enemy and the forces of hell. But instead, what they did was, when he was resurrected... It allowed the freedom and the power of God's forgiveness to flow to humanity of all mankind, to all mankind. It's amazing. Talk about a turnaround. Talk about a comeback. Talk about a victory. And that leads me to the final word this morning. I'll leave with you. I'll close with this. The last word this morning. Come back. Come back. As they laid him in the tomb, they thought they'd won. But on that first Easter, he rose from the dead. It was the greatest comeback ever because he did. He defeated death. The Bible says, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Death stings pretty hard. But death, where is your sting now? They thought they'd won. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. So that we can live eternally with Him. Did you know there's life after life? Did you know that? You will live forever somewhere. The Bible says that that after Jesus was crucified, that He went down into the lower regions and that He He led captivity captive. I love that line. And He declared His victory. He said, I am not dead. I am alive. And this morning, the message of Easter... The power of the Easter truth that God has that same comeback. Remember Ephesians, read your Bible. The same resurrection power that is in Jesus is now available to you. Jesus followers, that same resurrection power is available to you. When it looks like all is lost, you've come in here and you've come in here a little bit hopeless, a little bit helpless, a little bit defeated, a little bit thinking the walls were going to come down. But when it seems like that all hope is gone, He has a comeback. He has resurrection power that's available for you. When your plans have failed for your life, He has a comeback. When your marriage is broken apart, He has a comeback. When you thought God was dead, He has a comeback. When you thought that addiction would win out in your life, He has a comeback. When you thought God wouldn't even have a place in your life, He wants to come back. When Jesus has a comeback, and the good news of Easter is, His comeback is better than you could even possibly imagine. Remember the scripture that we read in the beginning. More than you could even imagine. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? These are good words. What do you mean it's more than I can imagine? Well, i got one last scripture to share with you. And it's in that first, uh, same, same book in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. He says this. He says, however, and I love that word, however. Don't you love however? Yeah. You thought it was one way, but however. 
It's sort of like those two, two words, but God, right? Some people have it on a t-shirt. Some people have it, I don't know if my grandma has it crocheted on a, on a pillow, but but God, but God, we have, the, we have, God, I can do that, but I can't do that. God, you can call me to this, but I can't do that. God, I hear you calling me, but do you know what I'd have to give up? Well, there's two other words. I had a sermon one time called, how big is your butt? And it was about how big is your obstacle? How big is your one T, but, but I can't do that. But there's two words in the Bible that kind of trump over all of that, but God. That's kind of like this. However, you saw your marriage was broken. However, you thought you were too far gone. However, you thought God wouldn't take you back. However, you thought that addiction was going to win out. However, that's a big however. Because of Easter, number 9, verse 9, it says, As it is written, No eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has even conceived. What God has prepared for those who love Him. Now that's read a lot of times. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if some some have heard that at a funeral, maybe some things like this. Like, mm, okay, well, there's this hope of human or hope of eternity for people who die in Christ, and and it is could be applied to that heavenly home that we have. We can't even conceive it, but that's kind of not what Paul's talking about here. Remember the three rules of biblical interpretation. Say it with me. Context. 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 Right. Those are the three rules of biblical interpretation. Context. Find out what it's there for is there for. So you, so you look back and you say, what's Paul talking about? That's not what it's talking about, heaven. But, but it's talking about when we walk around here on earth because the very next verse in verse 10 says, but God, I don't have it, but God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. We can know them now. These truths, this, this, this thing that we can't even com- conceive, we can't even think about. It's, it's more than we can even imagine or even think. What God has revealed and prepared for those who love Him now. In other words, what God is telling us. The comeback of Easter is better than you could imagine even in your wildest dreams. Would you surrender your life to Him knowing that He has this plan for you? Well, pastor, isn't church and isn't this Jesus thing all about do's and don'ts? Is that what you see here? He has something prepared for you that you can't even imagine. You think you're doing okay walking through this life without Him. Try walking through this life with Him. He has some things prepared for thee that you can't even conceive. And I'll tell you, it's a wild ride. Beyond, you can't even imagine, begin to see it. You're like, I don't know how he's going to do this. I just can't see a way. Well, yeah, no mind, no eye has even seen. Wait, they're telling me and I, I can't, Pastor, I've never even heard anything like this. Right, no ear has heard. You sit here this morning, you're like, I can't even, can't even think what my, my life would look like if I started walking with God. Right, you can't think because no mind has even conceived what God has for you. For you, or for you. It hasn't even entered into the mind, what God, the mind of man, what God has prepared and what He can do in your life, in my life, in our lives. But because of resurrection power, because of a divine Easter comeback, there's a comeback from the damage of sin. There's a comeback from the power of evil. Say to me, Pastor, I, 
I mean, I'm, I'm a decent person. I don't think of myself as a person that has committed some sin or anything. Well, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's standard is perfection. How you doing with that? I'll give you the Dr. Phil version. How's that working for you? Put that back. You! No, I won't. I won't. How's that working for you? How's that perfection thing working out? There's a comeback that God wants to work in your life. All have sinned and fallen short, the Bible says. But there is forgiveness for you. He created on that first Easter and He wants to create today in your life a comeback for you. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you're going through in your life, there's divine power. We just talked about it. There's divine power to give you a comeback. And God has a comeback for you. Did you know that in this room this morning, and even those watching us online, did you know that none of you are here by accident this morning? That there are no things left to chance? None of you are here by accident or by chance this morning. Somehow God has orchestrated your life, time and space, to have you sitting here in this room or watching this online this morning. And God has a comeback for you. Jesus rose from the dead and He can bring anything back to life again. We sang those songs that there's a resurrection coming this morning. Well, there's a resurrection that's already happened. But because of the God's Word in that same resurrection power is available for you and for me this morning. He can bring anything back to life again. That's the power of Easter and the power of the resurrection. Wherever you are in your life and whatever you're going through, God can engineer, He can work a comeback. His power is so great that the Bible says that there is nothing impossible for Him. You're never too far gone. You're never too far away. If you're feeling far from God this morning, guess who moved? Guess who moved? Because when you're walking away from God, you turn and He's right there. All He wants you to do, He uses this word, this churchy word in the Bible called repent. And repent just means to turn around. To turn. I was going this way, now I'm turning. This is repenting. I'm, it's a U-turn. It's I'm turning back. That's all He wants you to do. You've been going through this life along how many ever years you've been walking around? How long? However many long years you've been tried, treading the sod? How's that been working for you? Everything going well? And I'm not saying following Jesus and if you decide to follow Him today that, that life is just unicorns and rainbows and everything's great now. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. But He also gave you an out. He said, but take heart. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world, he says. That's our hope. You don't have to walk through this life alone. You don't have to walk through this life not knowing where to turn. Not, not thinking that the, that the hope is lost. Why bother even trying? Because Jesus Christ died on a cross 
and was risen on the third day so that you could have eternal life and have that hope. Yeah, it might get a little difficult in this life, but you look forward. The Apostle Paul, who we just read, that wrote all those words, he said, you know, this, this life is over like that. This is just a, a vapor. <laughs> it's a mist. This life is fast. It's over quick. You blink and your kids are in college. You blink again and they're having their own kids. You blink again. You get one time. You get one life. There's one question that God's going to ask you at the end of this life. What did you do with my son? The people in this room, the people joining us online this morning, have heard enough this morning to be accountable before God. When you stand again, you'll stand before God one day. Every person in here will stand before Him. You've heard enough in this room to be accountable for what you did with His Son. Did you accept Him or reject Him? And no decision is a decision. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. We conclude most of all of our services really with a few questions. One of them is you ask God, hey God, you know, if you're a Jesus follower here this morning and, and you would ask God, you would say, Lord Jesus, what, what are you saying to me this morning through the Holy Spirit? Because God's word is not just words on a page. It's alive. It's a living word. And you would say, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning? How can I, as a Jesus follower, change and grow and learn and be more like you, Christ? And be more like you, Jesus? How can I learn to be more like you from the words that I've heard this morning? That's the question for the Jesus follower. Is there something that I can glean from this, Lord, that would make me more like Christ? So that's the question for the Jesus followers this morning in this room. There's another question that we ask, and this is a very personal question. Because Jesus Christ is a very personal Savior. And if you're in this room this morning, as I said, you're not here by accident. Someone may have invited you. You may have wandered in off the street. You may have gotten an invite from someone else, that a family member that you were waiting to see. or However you got here, you're not here by accident. God has something for you this morning. And He's asking you this question. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with having heard this word and having not walked with Him or walked away from Him, this is your opportunity. This is your hour. So I would ask this morning if you would bow your heads this morning together. We always say as a family, we're a tight-knit group here. There's room here for one more, always. But as you bow your head and you, you maybe close your eyes so you're sort of introspective and you're not looking around at, at what your neighbor's doing in front of you or someone in, in, behind you or next to you, you're in this sacred moment and you're bowing and you're closing your eyes and you're sort of focusing in on what do I do with Jesus? God did all this for you. God did all of this for you. And it's never too late for you to turn to Him. Never. So would you take this opportunity this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around? It's between you and God, well and me. But I want to pray for you. I want to lift you up before the throne and pray for you. Not by name, but I will pray for you. 
But if you say this morning, Pastor, I hear these words and I, I, I accept the fact that I was drawn here by God. I'm not here by accident. And that there's some reason that God is speaking to my heart right now. And I know. I know He's speaking to me. I can, I can almost feel it. And trust me, friends, I know. I stood where you stand. And I knew beyond a shadow of any doubt that God Himself was speaking to me and reaching out and saying, I did all of this for you. I did it all for you. If you were the only person, God would do it all again for you to save you. So the question I asked this morning, what do you do with Jesus? Would you turn your life over to Jesus this morning? You know that you know He's speaking to you. I don't have to... I don't have to beat that, kick that dead horse anymore. I know that He's speaking to you, and you know it too. But if you need to turn your life over to Him and allow Him into your life and to control your life, you say, Lord Jesus, I accept Your your sacrifice on that cross for my sin because I have fallen short. I am not perfect, but I accept, Lord, Your perfect, sinless death on that cross and that You were raised to life again, and I can have that power too. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if that's you this morning, I want you just to slip your hand up so I can see it. Say, Pastor, I need a relationship with Jesus beginning right now. I'm not here by accident. I need to start right now. It's a very personal thing. It's a very, very, very personal thing. You don't have to let your neighbor know today. But you can just just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I need to live for this Jesus I've been hearing about. I don't want to leave here. None of us are promised tomorrow. I don't want to leave here not knowing. You can know today that you are saved by God. Say, Pastor, that's me. Here's my hand. I lift it up and I let you see it. I want you to pray for me, Pastor. Thank you. Anybody else? Let this Easter be a resurrection Sunday like you've never known. One more time, I left to write anybody else. Just slip your hand up. Amen. God's still moving. The Spirit's still working. I stood where you stand. I know. Is there anybody else? (laughs) Any latecomers? Anyone else? Amen. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for those who have had the courage, Lord, to lift their hand and to praise You and to give You credit and glory for speaking to them this morning. And God, I want you to know that we are thankful. (laughs) We are thankful for the resurrection. And God, we are thankful for those who have had the courage to say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is speaking to me and I need to begin a life with Him. He needs to be in my life. So God, I pray that you would be in their lives, that you would hold them accountable, Lord, and that we as a church would come alongside and put our arm around and encourage and help and pray for new believers. Father, I thank you in advance for what you're going to do in these people's lives. That, Lord, this is not just another Easter. That this is the beginning, Lord, of something miraculous and something wonderful. And I thank you, Lord, as we close this morning. I thank you for this beautiful Easter service and this wonderful meal that we've shared together. I thank you, Lord, for all of those who have come this morning. 
And I ask a blessing, Lord, upon these people that they would realize and recognize that it's not about bunnies and chocolate, that it's about you, Lord Jesus, being risen from the dead. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. He is risen. Amen. Very good. Finally.